This is Healthcare's Missing Logic Podcast, episode number 142. Today, our special guest is Dr. Karen Mueller. We talk with Karen about her research on burnout and physical therapy students and faculty and the implications for students and new clinicians entering the workforce. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Healthcare's Missing Logic Podcast. This is the only podcast that shows you how to leverage polarity intelligence, an essential competency for healthcare leaders, and the missing logic in healthcare so you can create healthy healing organizations and become a thriving, resilient, and unstoppable healthcare leader. We are your hosts, Tracy Christofferson and Michelle Troset. We've been best friends and colleagues for over 30 years. And during that time, we coached healthcare leaders across North America around how to create healthy healing organizations. Today, we coach healthcare leaders and leadership teams to live thriving, resilient, and balanced lives, combat burnout, and create the best places to give and receive care. This podcast is for the unsung hero of healthcare, the healthcare leader. We want you to know we see you and we'll be here for you each week. In this podcast, we're going to challenge healthcare's industry norms, flip limiting beliefs, and share proven strategies so you can be your best self at working at home, live and lead intentionally, and experience well-being and joy. We are glad you are here and look forward to sharing the journey with you. If you aren't totally convinced this podcast is for you, just listen to a few episodes and convince yourself. Well, welcome everyone to another episode of Healthcare's Missing Logic Podcast. This is Michelle. And Tracy. And we're back again for another fantastic episode, another guest episode. Yeah, it's always fun to have guests. Gives it you is. a lot of energy. Yeah, it does. And she's our first in the, we're in a new batch season here, folks. So she was our first guest in this batch. Yes. And she started it out fantastic. So who are we talking about, Trace? Talking about Dr. Karen Mueller. Oh, yes. Yes. And she's a physical therapist. Yay! Physical Sh- therapy. Shout out to all the physical therapists out there. Yeah. And we talked to her about her incredible research on burnout and uh, self-compassion and compassion for others. And just for the record, we know every health profession is impacted with burnout. So think of anyone else that wants to be on our show, the door's open. Yeah, let us know. Well, I think it's just so encouraging to hear, you know, not not necessarily to hear the results of a research, which is students are burned out, right? But, <laughs> yeah. but just that other people are starting to do research for the other professions. Yes. Because I think everybody, we need to know what the realities are for all the health professions. So I just really appreciate her sharing her research with us and our listeners and and just um, seeing that it gives me great hope. Yeah, I agree. We're learn I more. agree. And you will listen to her wonderful story too. There's a lot of lessons in her personal story, which I can't wait for you to listen to. Yeah. And I mean, I think too, along with um, just what the results were, that she's actually implementing changes and doing things differently and being innovative in her approaches to help students, you know, combat burnout and manage the stressors of, you know, being in accelerated programs and academic settings. And, um, you know, so she's taking action, which I just love. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. That really gives me hope. Yes. (laughs) Because, you know, what we, you know, my takeaway from our conversation too was what we experience as students and learn as students and coping mechanisms, we just carry right on into our professional careers, right? Mm-hmm. And so if it's not healthy as a student, it's not going to be healthy as a clinician. 
why we're in the situation we're in. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. Well, let me introduce you to Dr. Karen Mueller. So Karen is a professor and founding core faculty member in Rasmussen's University's Developing Doctoral Physical Therapy Program, which will launch in January of 2023. So this is a brand new physical therapy doctoral program. Uh, before joining Rasmussen University in June of 2021, Karen served for 34 years in the physical therapy program at Northern Arizona University in Flagstaff, Arizona. Karen's research interests are in the areas of physical therapy, student well-being, and compassion, compassionate end-of-life care. She has presented nationally and internationally on both topics and has also published several related articles. Karen is the author of Communication from the Inside Out, Strategies for the Engaged, Engaged Professional, and a national board-certified health and wellness coach. And it was just a pleasure to talk to Karen. So without further ado, here's our interview. Welcome, Karen, to Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast. We're so, so happy to have you on the show today. Hi, Tracy and Michelle. Thanks so much for inviting me. It's really a pleasure to be with you today. Yeah, yeah well, we're, we're excited. We're super excited <laughs> to have a physical therapist on our show today. <laughs> yeah, right. Let's hear it for the PTs. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and one that shares so many yes. passions that we have, right? And uh, so one of the things that we always kind of like to find out when we have different, you know, healthcare professionals that are on our show is kind of your origin story. So tell our listeners a little bit about how you came to be a physical therapist. It was not a direct route, um, kind of a sideways route, but um, I grew up in a family of health professionals. I had a, my favorite aunt was a nurse and loved her work, but worked the night shift. And I'm like, Ooh, that's, that's tough. Um, but loved her work. So that excited me. And then I had my father and my brother who are psychiatrists and our dining room table conversation was often around, you know, what my father would tell us about how to have good well being and take care of your relationships and have good, have a good marriage and love your work. And that really resonated with me. And I actually thought about going to medical school and becoming a psychiatrist. But I quickly realized that I'm too extroverted to sit quietly and listen to people all day. I know that sounds heartless. I still had a passion for mind-body wellness. And I did inherit that from my father and my family. But I didn't know if just sitting quietly was the best way for me to help patients who had those issues. Um, and by chance, one day, I was on campus at, at the University of Missouri, where I was going to college, and ran into a dear friend who I hadn't seen in years, um, who was uh, now at the university studying physical therapy. And that caught my attention. Like, here's an opportunity to get involved, be active, have, you know, run, do the movement. I I was really into the running craze in the 70s. Um, it made total sense that this would be a great way to um, integrate my interest in mind-body health in a profession where I could be active, still have strong relationships with my patients, and treat them as holistic persons. So it Again, it was a sideways entrance, but um, it turned out to be one of the second best decision I've ever made. The first was marrying my husband, who's also a physical therapist. We've been married oh. 38 years. I met him on my first position at Rehabilitation Institute of Chicago. And my second best decision was becoming a physical therapist. And, and this year, it will be my 43rd year. 
ah, as a physical therapist. I know it's, it's always hard to say that, isn't it? <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. Just think of all the amazing experiences yes. you've had yeah. over those 43 mm-hmm. years, right? Yeah. And just how you've evolved yourself, right? I'm sure as a Absolute. physical therapist, as a person, because of those experiences. So Absolutely. There's lots of wisdom packed into you, Lee. <laughs> yes. There you go. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, and how great that you could share that journey with your husband. That's really cool, too. Yes, we were colleagues. And we, you know, Rehabilitation Institute of Chicago was, um, and now it's the Shirley Ryan Ability Center. But at the time, that and Rusk Rehabilitation Center were the two top rehab centers in the country. So I did have the opportunity to work with a variety of patients with different disabilities. And at the time in the 70s, uh, before managed care, you we would see our patients for three months, six months. So you really develop relationships. Yeah, I think that's one of the great things about rehab, right? mm-hmm. the ability to really follow them on their journey and be a part of that and to really Absolutely. help them. Yeah, I think that's fabulous. Well, as you know... Michelle and I are on a mission, right, uh, to help healthcare leaders combat burnout and to develop resilience and joy in their lives. And especially now, after the last 22 months, right? I mean, it's just been a long, long time we've been on this journey, and it's been a tough one. And we know you have a personal and professional story about this. And so let's start with your personal story. Like, what have you personally learned about stress and burnout through the pandemic? Uh it was kind of an acid test. <laughs> this last, I will categorically say that 2021 was the most challenging year of my 65 years on this planet. Um, it's at the when 2020 hit, you know, when the pandemic hit, I was joyfully engaged at a public university in Arizona. I loved my colleagues. I loved my students. I could never imagine leaving that position. Um, and then COVID hit, as we all know. And we all pivoted, I guess that was the big word. We all went to online, but there was a sense of solidarity because we thought, oh, it's only going to be the spring semester of 2020. And so there was a great sense of excitement. And then when as as it wore on and the financial impact of COVID hit our university in the fall of 2020, there were some drastic changes. Um, They were trying to survive financially. And so there were faculty hiring freezes. um, There was a requisition process for equipment. There was a bunch of stuff that, again, my university, I will never speak ill of it. Northern Arizona University, I will always love that place. And just like other public institutions, they, they had a financial crisis. And, um, but it was really hard. I'd been there for 34 years and the way I was used to delivering, you know, my lectures and having the support I needed wasn't available. It just wasn't a possibility. And so um, I made the very, very painful and difficult choice to start looking around. And the thing that also exacerbated it and made it a scary situation was that I was diagnosed with hypertension. And I live a really healthy lifestyle. So I couldn't lose more weight. I couldn't walk more. There was, it was stress, nothing more than that. But it was terrifying. Um, on a couple of occasions, my blood pressure was dangerously high. And so there was this urgency of having to take care of myself that I think really accelerated my decision to leave this wonderful university that I just loved. Um, and so that was painful. And what I learned about stress is sometimes there is nothing more you can do that be in it and be with it. I had 
sleepless nights, I had, I tend to be an anxious person and I tend to catastrophize. So I had to really be with that. And it was painful. There's no two ways around it. Um, what I did learn is how important it is to be mindful and to not add layers of self-judgment on top of the anxiety that I was already feeling um, to validate the decision to leave the university, which was so painful. Um, and then to also realize that there's other great opportunities out there. The, the happy ending of the story is that I found another position with one of my all-time career mentors um, who happened to hire me at Northern Arizona University 34 years ago. So there was this huge coming to full circle that is the happy ending of all this. But um, in the midst of being very anxious and sleepless, um, I learned several things. Probably the most important thing, of course, is um, mindful acceptance. I think when something with COVID hit, I think we all faced our mortality, which has always terrified me. Um, even though I've worked in hospice and palliative care, the thought of my own death was terrifying. Um, I've learned to come to terms with that. Um, it's been quite a process, but I think just being more accepting of things in the moment, no matter how painful they are, um, has been really helpful to me. I'll stop. I know I've been talking a lot. <laughs> Just, no. no, it's great. <clears throat> That's why you're here. You're here okay. to talk, Karen. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So it sounds like that mindful acceptance was a major factor that helped you regain balance in your life. In addition to making a courageous decision to and recognizing mindful choices are really important. Is there anything else that really helped you regain balance in your life at that time? Two other things. Um, I realized that I have a very negative self-explanatory style. So in this, you know, if you've done the, if you've read the work of Martin Seligman in terms of explanatory style and optimism, um, ne you know, pessimists take um, bad things, they make it globally affecting every part of their lives, they make it permanent, and they make it their, they make it their fault. And so I was kind of internalizing all of this, beating myself up, thinking, when will this horrible stuff end? When will this hypertension end? And then I realized, you know, um, if you don't change your mindset, those aren't going to go away. So um, I actively began to cultivate a more optimistic mindset of, look and, of looking at things more positively, of seeing negative things as self-limiting, not affecting all parts of my life, right? Yeah, and yeah. the thing that helped me, the hack, I think, to an optimistic mindset is gratitude. Mm -hmm. And so I began to like become a gratitude fanatic, like, oh, look at the bird. Look at this. This is wonderful. Um, as crazy as that sounds, it begins to become self-fulfilling. Um, I have found that to be probably the most helpful thing I have done is be mm -hmm. more grateful. Well, when you're grateful, you're happy. Yeah. Right. Right. And it raises sounds, your vibration. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it felt disingenuous at first to go, okay, I'm happy that mm, I slept for two hours last night, better than the night before where I didn't sleep at all. Um, and so the beginning of just starting to ramp up little bits of gratitude allowed me to see greater opportunities for it. Sure. Sure, baby oh, steps. Yeah, they are baby steps. <laughs> and look, look at you now. Yeah, <laughs> we didn't know you then, but you seem very happy and grateful now. I, I'm in the. I'm in the. Yeah, 
one other thing can I add? Because I think you guys will get this, the importance of reaching out. Um, yes, yes. You know, when you're hurting and you are um, at the thrall of a chronic illness, like I felt like I was, um, there was a part of me that just wanted to buck up and see if I could get through it. And then I realized that might, that could have a really bad outcome. So I was really forthcoming and reaching out to my counselor, to my healthcare team. Um, I reached out to friends. I really, really tried to keep my social network as strong as I could, um, which for me being an extrovert was absolutely an essential mm-hmm. part of my mental health. Yes, so, mm-hmm. yes. Wow, you've already given some great tips and we are just getting started. Okay, I guess we're done. No, just, just teasing, just teasing. We got a lot more here to go. Oh, I, I know do. you do. <laughs> okay, Karen, um, you know, you contributed to some important studies related to burnout and compassion mm-hmm. with physical therapist students and faculty and clinical instructors. Mm-hmm. And the first was published in 2018 in the mm-hmm. International Journal of Health and Wellness uh, and Society on Patterns of Academic Burnout, Emotional Distress, and Coping. And can you briefly share with our listeners, uh, you know, what this study with doctoral physical therapy or DPT students revealed? Yes. Um, I first of all, a shout out to my colleagues who were collaborators on this paper, especially Petra Williams, who was the lead author on this paper. So this, all these great things are done with um, other people helping. But uh, we began to see. Um, you know, we have a doctoral program in physical therapy, and that is the standard for physical therapist education across the country. And the demands are really rigorous. I mean, we had we had an accelerated program at NAU. So the students are in like 20 credit hours a semester. They're trying to learn all this information. They're trying to develop clinical skills. The stress levels we began to notice were high. So we we decided to undertake a longitudinal study of student burnout and stress. And our the one the paper you're referring to was the first paper from this. We've got others in the pike right now. But we wanted to look, we wanted to do two things. We wanted to compare burnout, levels of burnout in all of the students on our Phoenix and Flagstaff campus. That was 163 first and second year physical therapy students. We wanted to compare their levels of burnout between January, right after Christmas holidays, everything's great, and May, when there, a lot of them are taking practical exams, getting ready to go out on internships, what is the level of burnout in one semester? We didn't, we just thought we would give it a shot to see if we were even on to anything. Um, and then the other thing we were curious about was what sort of coping behaviors do, do people use? And we divided up coping behaviors into 10 different ones, looking at what we called more active strategies like playing with pets, hanging out with friends, cooking, um, doing things that, you know, nurtured you, as opposed to more passive things like watching television, um, drinking alcohol, overeating, things like that. So we wanted to see that as well. And we used um, the, the Oldenburg burnout inventory to measure exhaustion and, di- and disengagement. And then we looked at the depression, anxiety, and stress scale to look at depression and anxiety. And so we were kind of blown away <laughs> by the results of this study that in one semester, um, depression, anxiety, all of the levels that we were measuring increased by 22% for the entire cohort. And 40% of these students were reporting moderate to severe levels of stress and high levels of disengagement and burnout. 
So here we're seeing in one semester, these students were very stressed, 40% of them in the severe category. So there's the, that's the bad part of this. Now, what helped? Um, we looked at the coping strategies. Mm-hmm. And what we found, sadly, is that, you know, again, I mentioned the 10 behaviors, the positive and the passive ones. Um, the negative, as the, as the levels of stress and burnout increased, all coping mechanisms decreased except slight increases for eating, drinking, alcohol. Okay. Um, and only 25% of students increased one coping behavior, positive coping behavior. And that was spending times with family and friends. Okay. So mm-hmm. for those students that spent more time with family and friends, there was significantly less depression and anxiety which really was fascinating. They took the risk in the midst of a very rigorous program and said, I'm going to spend more time with my family and friends, which seems counterintuitive, but they were the only ones that were protected. Yeah, that's a, that's a great result. Well, you got to fill your cup. Yeah. Right. Yes. But it is counterintuitive, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's the opposite, right? And I noticed in the study those that didn't, right? They kind of went into like a survival mode, right? right? Like they were increased pressure, increased time, decrease everything else, right? Just exactly. Think. Yes. And that's what we do as clinicians too. We do. We just think, oh, wait, I don't have time. I'm not worth the effort. Um, what if, you know, the guilt trip, and that's a whole other layer of things that we just, I can share with mm-hmm. you as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds that sounds really um, great to uncover that. And there was there any other things you learned about that family and friends piece other than just the data results? Was there any other like? Uh... Well, um, you asked a great question about interpretation. What do those results mean? Mm-hmm. Why were those important? And. Um, one of the things I have been I'm very interested in looking at is the impact of social connection. So I'm a health coach too. So trying to get patients involved, people, clients involved in health behavior change often means finding the relatedness part of self-determination, right? Getting friends and family involved. But what's fascinating is the health impact of low social interaction. And so I just wanted to quote a study that was published in POLS in 2010. So this is an old study. And they looked at 148 uh, studies involving over 300,000 participants. So this was a wide, they cast a wide net. And what they found was that low social interaction was equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day or being an alcoholic. And... It was more harmful than not exercising and twice as harmful as being obese. So Mm -hmm. social interaction is a huge, critical health behavior. Um, Another study in 2017 that was published in the American Journal of Lifestyle Medicine found that strong social interaction is protective of longevity by up to 50%. Wow. So for all of us health professionals, I think if we realize that keeping our social connections intact is a health behavior, we might feel mm-hmm. more compelled. It may be more legitimized. Yeah, to spend- exactly. Too bad we well, need I know to have- Mich- 
I know Michelle's doing the happy dance because she's such a social person. So now she's like, see, now I'm validated. Every see? social activity Darn I do right. is validated. <laughs> Darn right. <laughs> I knew exactly what was going through her little head. I'm like circling this. Yeah, like, she's like, like oh. <laughs> That's imp- important data. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, I, but I think it's important for faculty to be aware of that, right? So you can encourage that and you can yes. build that into your... You know, how you can help the students during these stressful times. Well, and I think, you know, it's typical, right? When you become stressed or depressed, you tend to go in, right? That's just the natural tendency. And so you tend not to ask for help. You tend not to reach out. Um, And I think one of the things that we've also been working with, like with leaders too, is connect with each other, right? So there's this whole you know, dynamic around keeping up with the other leaders, right? And if you can't, then there's something wrong. Same thing with students, right? Like if other students are flourishing and you're not, there's that whole dynamic there. But it's really about connect and support, connect and support each other, wherever you're at in your, you know, yeah, emotionally and, you know, as well as academically, right? It's just absolutely it's, it's very important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So no, that was, thanks for bringing that up because I'm in this wonderful position now of creating a new physical therapy program at Rasmussen University. And this is going to be a hybrid program where all the didactic will be online and then we will be doing residential um, immersions once a quarter. So every 12 weeks. So I'm very mindful and I know my colleagues are too about how to recreate that kind of connected culture in an online teaching environment. Mm-hmm. And yeah. So mm-hmm. we're going to be very thoughtful about how we do that, but making students will be from all over the country. How do we connect them? How do we make them feel part of a small community? Um, yeah. I think that will be essential for the success of our program. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I totally agree. I totally yeah, agree. Actually I'm in a PhD program and I was just talking with my chair about how do you connect PhD students? Because I'm also in an online program. It's very isolating when you go into your PhD work, right? Like you're in your study. And she's like, I just thought it would be really helpful to connect. I'm like, yes, because you just feel like other than your chair and your committee, you're kind of out there alone. alone. Yeah, you don't really have a lot of connection, right? So same thing. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Mm Community is very important. Yes. Yeah. So how is the results of this study, Karen, you know, how does it compare with other health professions when it comes to burnout and oh, coping boy. strategies? <laughs> don't you wish we, don't you wish this would be happy news, but it's not. Um, <laughs> I'm just looking at some of the statistics on burnout. Um, it's terrible. It's endemic. It's part, you know, and, and certainly yeah. worse with COVID, but um Medscape, as you're probably well aware of the data on physicians and nurses. That's um, Medscape does an f- annual physician burnout yep. report, right? Every every year, 2020, um, most about 50% overall burnout, um, especially for the. I think urology and neurology came up as the highest, and then lower levels of burnout for uh, general surgeons and psychiatrists. But having a psychiatrist brother right now, I know the stress he's facing. He's having to go back on call after being, you know, something he hasn't done since he was a resident. So the stress on physicians is phenomenal. And I think you've all heard this, the terrible statistics of 400 physician suicides a year. So it's a problem. Um, Nurses, yes, nursing burnout, you guys know this. But um, shift work, 
understaffing. I read today that 62% of hospitals have nursing shortages. Um, So I have a niece who is an emergency department nurse. Um, She has seen it. She's 27. She has seen more people die in her little short lifetime. And she's a tough, resilient woman, but the the stress is unbelievable. And I worry, Mm -hmm. I mean, she's hanging in there, but I worry about the long-term effects for these young, vibrant health professionals. Um, PA, physician assistants, it seems like we're just going to trend upwards as well, um, depending on what specialty they're in. So we're hurting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. I think everybody is. There's just not as much data on every other health profession, right, as there is around the nurses and the physicians. And thank goodness you're shining a spotlight on physical therapy. I think that really helps as well. You know, because everybody's hurting. Yeah, everybody's hurting. So the work you're doing is so important. (laughs) Yeah, well, and you too, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it really does take... trying to do the best we can. (laughs) Takes lots of villagers, right? Lots of... It does. We're all in separate villages doing the same thing. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, uh, another study that you were involved in was published in 2019 in the Health Professions Education Journal, and that was on self-compassion and compassion for others in physical therapy students, faculty, and clinical instructors. And this is really, you know, was exciting to us because self-compassion and compassion is a polarity. And... um, and your your colleagues really you discussed the literature up until this point revealed a need to identify and apply strategies right to support effective coping and resilience during this education preparation and future healthcare providers and the article states and I'm just going to read this promoting a balance between self compassion and compassion for others appears to be such a strategy however no studies have examined their respective levels and differences in physical therapy students or their faculty and clinical mentors so again we appreciate you adding to the body of evidence of how this you know this difference in self compassion and compassion for others impacts physical therapies so, Karen, can you share with us what were some of the implications for the physical therapy students in that study that you did? Well, I, some of the findings were, were kind of interesting, as you know, that um, we found that physical therapists in general, and this is probably true of nurses and other health professionals, have more compassion for others than they do for themselves. And we found even higher levels of this disconnect in our younger students and our women students. And so what this may, the implications for us is that I think we need to realize that self-love is another health behavior, another important element of um, resilience. But we need to make that okay in the educational system. We actually have to talk about it. Um, I think we need to talk about mindfulness. Um, I think we need to talk about how we take care of ourselves. And I think one of the things that I think ties into this that is part of another study that we are going to publish is that many of our students are maladaptive perfectionists. I don't know if you've heard that term. But we have looked at, we looked, this is another part of our study, and it relates to the compassion. So uh, we found that 93% of our students were perfectionists, but there are two kinds of perfectionists. 
um, the adaptive perfectionist going, you know, I'm going to do my best and I'm going to give myself kudos for giving it a good shot. Whereas the maladaptive perfectionist set really high standards that are almost unachievable and then beat themselves up for trying. And so we actually talk about, you know, what sort of, again, that explanatory style and that self-talk. Um, the other mm-hmm. issue that I think relates to self-compassion in kind of a less clear way is mindset. So if you have a fixed mindset where your intelligence is fixed and any challenge to your intelligence is stressful, um, I think an interesting study would be to say, does that relate to lack of self-compassion? If you have a fixed mindset, because people with mixed mm-hmm. mindsets do beat themselves up. So um, the implications are we need to do better in the healthcare education mm-hmm. system. Uh, we need to let students know, take care of yourself. <laughs> you're not good for others if you're not good for yourselves. Um, I think mindfulness is a professional behavior. And I, I frame it to them in that way. So I teach mindfulness. They learn how to meditate. Um, they keep a journal on how they are improving their communication throughout the semester. Um, if they fail tests, we're like, okay, what did you learn from the failure? Uh, many of us are trying to be more creative with letting students take a test over again. What's the point, the grade or the learning process? And I think we exactly. tend to get really caught up in the, pro- in the outcome and not the yeah. process. So yeah. there, this is, I think, many layers to what we can do to improve self-love. <laughs> Make it okay, mm-hmm. number one. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I oh. think that's just, that's a that's a great revelation, right? Yeah. And, and like, not that it, sh- it should be. Because <laughs> he's like, we should know we should love ourselves, right? <laughs> but we need research to tell us that. Oh, I think it's, that's amazing. But I, you know, you're not always taught that in your personal life. Not so, at all. To your point, right? And then when you get into a program like this, which is highly competitive, competitive. right? Yes. Then there's even more pressure on yourself, more chances that those mm-hmm. kinds of behaviors, that that maladaptive perfectionism is going to even expand more if there isn't somebody there telling you this is okay, right? This exactly. is a learning process. You don't have to be exactly. perfect at it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that's great. But what about the clinicians as they enter the workforce? Like, you know, how can they leverage some of this too to avoid burnout and and compassion fatigue? Boy, that you know, I that is a central question, isn't it? We prepare them for all this. I tell my students, maybe this is my personal bias, but I will tell my students that the, one of the most important decisions you will make is where you take your first position. Are Mm -hmm. you going to go to, you need to seek a culture of support and mentorship. And so I think a lot of our students, and this is another problem, that the debt involved in going to graduate school is so high. Um, Our students are coming out with one and $200,000 worth of student debt. It's easy to be tempted to default to the fast, high-paced, high-productivity work work situation, which may not support you. Mm -hmm. And so um, what I, I think it's very important for, for uh, new graduates to choose carefully. Um, the other thing is that our profession is recognizing f- physical therapist burnout as an issue. And so many of the state chapters of the American Physical Therapy Association are developing new practitioner special interest groups where there is a specific support 
for new mem- new professionals. And they're defined as new graduate to five years, which tells you, takes a while to learn mm-hmm. this stuff. And so finding support within the profession as well as in your workplace. And then last of all, <laughs> take your meds. Um, that is your meditation, your exercise, your diet, and your sleep. And I didn't mm-hmm. make that up. That comes from Nicholas Bate, who is a, I guess, a leading thinker in business and healthcare. But take your meds. So <laughs> I like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Every day. Every day. Every day. You got it. Yeah. 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 Um, so that that's ex- an example of one of the probably the you know recommendations that you have. Are there other recommendations that you have in relationship to what you found in that study? In Take your meds, and is there other things in terms of what you found out around? You know, self-compassion and compassion for others. We actually, um, we were actually looking for ways to support that in our students. And um, one of the great things, one of the great opportunities that we we had was to offer the healer's art um, training, which was developed by Rachel Naomi Riemann, who is a wonderful writer, um, and and Angeline and and Arsario who is her uh, the uh, chair of the Healers Art Initiative at Wright State University Medical School. It had been offered to PAs and nurses and um, physicians, of course, and I begged them to let them take physical therapists too. And so uh, we have started this 15-week elective, which is meant to create meaning and purpose in our work through the use of the humanities, like written mm-hmm. reflection, um, drawing, art, bringing the parts of ourself that we sometimes inhibit in our work situation. So it's really meant to bring your whole authentic self to your work. And there are, um, anybody can set up a making meaning in medicine group where you can bring colleagues together and just Talk about important things that you're doing. Um, we had a we we did this at we did this last semester. We brought a bunch of our community physical therapists together, and the first thing we asked them to do was bring an object of meaning that speaks to you of why you chose this profession. And so, mm. when you are forced to rearticulate what brought you here in the first place, it can be really helpful. Mm. The other thing that I've done in our program is. I have instituted a day of gratitude in my communications class. And so, and I, I'm saying gratitude is a form of communication. Positive affirmation is a form of communication. So the students are given index cards for every member of the class. They're asked to write a positive affirmation or some gratitude message. And then I collate them and hand them out like, remember your old Valentine's Day boxes? <laughs> with all your Valentine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they got their gratitude cards. And it started out as just kind of, let's see how this goes, but it has become a standard in our department. I mean, oh, I've left NAU, awesome. but the students still want to keep doing it. And I'm, I'm hoping that it continues. Students will tell me that they keep their cards after graduation. It means that much oh, to sure. them. So, yeah. so strategies of finding, um, Finding education that supports you and keeping that gratitude alive, those are things that we have done. 
Yeah, I think that's great. I know one of the things that struck me as I was reading through the article um, and thinking about the self-compassion and compassion for others as a polarity, I was saying it'd be great to measure that using a polarity assessment. Yes. Because you not only measure what they're experiencing, but the interdependency between the two and how they're balancing that. And I think that would be a phenomenal study to do. Maybe we'll have to partner with yes. you on that. Yeah. I'm all in. Part two. Yeah. I'll be in. Yeah, I, think that, I think that'd be great. Mm-hmm. Part two coming yeah. up. Yeah, there we go. Okay. Um, so what is your greatest hope for future physical therapists as they enter the workforce right now, Karen? What gives you the I just want, this is such a wonderful profession. There's so many opportunities to be of service. Um, I want, I want them to find a meaningful, supportive work position. I want them to take care of themselves and keep the joy of why they're here and what they're doing alive. I want them to feel empowered to make change in the healthcare system. And Mm -hmm. one thing that I love about the millennials and Gen Z students that I'm working with is that they're going to do this. And I'll tell them, I hope you fix this in your career lifetime. And please don't blame (laughs) us boomers for breaking the system. (laughs) We didn't like it either. Um, But I want, I really hope that they help change the system because we all know it's not working. Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. It's not uncommon. We asked several of our guests about what their greatest hope. And I can't, now that I'm sitting here, Tracy, so many of them, it is the younger generation coming up that gives them hope, right? It does. To lead the it way, does. Lead, lead the way in a new way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's probably true of all generations, right? They, they really hope the next one does better than they did. We just go, sorry for what we did to Passing you. Passing the baton. Yeah, here you go. Sorry. Good luck with that. I ran my lap yeah. as fast as I could. Oh, it's, just, it's been great, Karen, um, talking with you and hearing more about your incredible work. And so we always kind of like to wrap up our interview with the missing questions. Ooh. Okay. Okay. Now, this is just really, we've heard a lot about your professional side and all the contributions you've made, which have been incredible. Um, And we just like our people to kind of get to know you a little bit on the personal side. So we're going to ask you a few personal questions. Nothing you can't handle. Nothing to be nervous about. Don't don't get your blood pressure up. (laughs) You can relax for this one. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm very cool here. You got it. Cool as a cucumber, I bet. <clears throat> All right. So here we go. The first one is, as a health and wellness coach, what's one coaching recommendation you give to your clients that you find you have to work the most on yourself? It's that reframing of the thought process. Yeah. Yeah. So Me too. clients come because they feel, they feel stuck. They feel stuck. And, you know, it's like, well, let's talk about what, what you know, it's interesting to sometimes invite clients to, to like step out of their brain and be somebody else. Like, what is that person saying to you? What is that harsh person saying to you? And then is there a nice side over here that might be able to give a, a counter stronger argument? So uh, that's what coaching just allows us to guide the person to their own inner wisdom. They know that they just need the right, they need helpful questions, thoughtful questions. Yeah. Um, sure. But 
But it's amazing that when you just open that door, they have the wisdom. Yeah, they just yeah. need somebody to help them see it, right? Right, right. Yeah. And and we and we do too, <laughs> and that's why, right? It's ongoing. It's just ongoing. It's never stops, right? Because a lot of the thoughts you have are so subconscious, you're not even aware you're having them. I started a new thing. I start putting that negative voice in timeout. <laughs> I'm like, go to timeout. <laughs> That seems to be helping a little bit. Oh, that's great. That's great. Okay. Another question for you. All right. What is a favorite hobby of yours that fills you with joy and helps you combat burnout? I love being physically active. And so the two things that just make me so happy are yoga. I have a pretty consistent yoga practice. That gets me out of my head and into my body because my head is an active, crazy little place. And so doing yoga has been helpful. It also um, is keeping me strong. And as we all know, as we get older, that's harder to do. Um, And then my very favorite thing to do is put on headphones, um, crank up some good rock and roll and dance. And I do that twice a week. And it's oh, ugly, awesome. but it's private. By yourself or with others? <laughs> no one <laughs> sees it but me. The... Okay. okay. By so you're doing it by yourself. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. I love right. that. And then um, I am really getting into art. So I've been painting mandalas. Mm. I've done some mosaics. Um, I'm, I'm trying to get that other expressive side healing as well. So... Those yeah. are the hobbies I really enjoy. Right My brain. husband and I walk every day too. We love that. Great. Awesome. Oh, cool. Awesome. All right, Karen, we have a wrap-up question for you. So as you know, we teach polarity intelligence to leaders and yeah. how to think, how to think both and. And one of the principles of polarities is even though things are, are an interdependent pair, um, we have a preference pole. We just naturally have a preference pull that we lean more towards one than the other. So I'm going to, I'm going to share a polarity with you and we want to know where you sit, what your preference pull is. Okay. 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 Self-compassion or compassion for others? Uh, Self-compassion. Very intentionally. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. I think you live it. You've been sharing with us how you live it, and I think you can bring it in a way uh, to others, too, to help strengthen that particular side of the polarity as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. This was such a delightful conversation, and I'm so grateful uh, to have you on our podcast. I want to give a shout out to our good friend and colleague, Jody Frost, who introduced Yay, us to Jody! you. Yay, Yeah. Great friend. <laughs> yeah. She's, a, she's, she's been on our podcast as well, and uh, we really were seeking out physical therapists that were doing work with well-being and uh, combating burnout, and I think, uh, I can't think of another person we could have had that was better. So thank oh, you very well, much. Yeah, I so enjoyed the conversation with you too. Yeah. And the work you're doing. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Thank you. Yeah. 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 And I, I think, you know, what I noticed throughout our conversation was the power of choice yeah. and yes. agency. And it started right when you told your first, your story about making a very difficult choice, but you made it because you knew it was what it was in your best interest and in the, 
best interest of the greater good as well. And then even in your research, right, as individuals are making choices about where they were spending their time, right, spending time, choosing to spend time with something that filled their cup made a difference for them more than it did for the other students. And then even at the end, your choices around the things that fill you up and and help you to have that self-compassion for yourself. I think it was just a great theme throughout the whole um, throughout our whole conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Wonderful. Thanks. So thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, I'm, I, I'm going to be following you guys closely. I, and just, uh, I'm really, I'm a big cheerleader for what you're doing. Thanks again. Yeah, and that's right. for you. So yeah. And for all of our listeners out there and watchers on our YouTube channel, this wraps up another great episode of Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast, and we will see you next time. All right. Bye, everybody. Take care. Stay healthy and safe. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast, now a top-rated podcast for healthcare leaders. Please share this podcast with other healthcare leaders and anyone else you think would benefit. We are certain that if you found value in it, they will too. If you haven't already done so, please hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any episodes. And also, it would mean the world to us if you took a quick moment to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast player. It helps to get the word out about our podcast and incredible guests. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel if you want to watch our podcasts. You can also follow us on our Missing Logic social media channels, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Until next time.